Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 16. We pick up this morning. Two are excited. <laughs> 25 of you are here. That's good. That's a, that's a good step in the right direction. You're here, aren't you? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. You may not know it yet, but your spirit's going to before you leave if it hasn't already figured it out. It's good to be here in the house. Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being filled and held together, fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We are in this list of what things we have in common with believers in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter what denomination you go to, which church you attend. Paul gives us a somewhat small list. Again, this is not meant to be exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. But here are things that we must be able to see that we have in common with Christ Jesus. We pick up in verse 4. We looked at one body last week. We only made it through one of these. But that's, that's okay. We're going to make it through the rest of them this morning, Lord willing. One spirit. Next on the list, one spirit. Newsflash. Just by way of reminder, I want you all to know, there's only one spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. How do we know that we're not talking about our spirits. It's the same word in Greek. If you didn't know, it's pneuma. The Holy Spirit is also pneuma. And sometimes you'll see in your English Bible, the translators took the liberty to capitalize it to help un us understand which spirit it's talking about. Well, we know in the context, we're talking about one Lord. We're talking about one Father God. We're talking about one spirit. This is very clearly, to me at least, that we're talking about one Holy Spirit. The one and whole same Holy Spirit that fills me is available to you, is in you. The one and same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Some of us need to 
Meditate on that. The same Holy Spirit unites us all in Christ Jesus. There wasn't a Holy Spirit of old and a Holy Spirit of new, a kind of dumbed-down version. The same Holy Spirit you read about in Acts, you know, when they started to put people out on their cots in the street because Peter's shadow might just walk by and touch them. That's the same Holy Spirit that lives in me and lives in you. There's not a charismatic Holy Spirit in a non-charismatic, a cessationist Holy Spirit. It's the one and same Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if you're getting it or not, but the Holy Spirit we read about is available and lives in you. That same Holy Spirit wants to do a work today the same way that he did some 2,000 years ago on this earth. Why? To point others to Christ Jesus. That the gospel, the truth, the message would be confirmed by signs and wonders. We don't do signs and wonders so the pastor gets to be famous. I get to write books about it, right, and travel around and do healing camps and things. Is that why we do it? No. We do it that God would be magnified, that others would come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That as, watch this, the New River Valley is filled with the knowledge of the glory of him. Guess where they're coming when they have a need? Not to the feet of a pastor. If they do, we'll fix it. We'll correct them, their theology. They're coming to meet with God. They're coming to get a touch by that same Holy Spirit that was in Peter and Paul and Jesus. That dove that ascended on him. That's the same Holy Spirit. We have one Holy Spirit. Doesn't matter which church you go to. Doesn't matter how spirit-filled your church is. Now we believe that the Holy Spirit can fill us. Some churches reject that teaching, unfortunately, in my opinion. But it's the same Holy Spirit that's available. There was one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Hear me out. I'm not more called than you because I hold a title in this body. While that's a good reminder for each and every one of us here, that's not even really the right kind of calling. We're talking about the irrevocable calling of God, the calling out of darkness and into the marvelous light. It's that, as, as we read about in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also will glorify. Or he glorified us in Christ Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. We have that same calling, if you believe, with that one faith in the one Lord Jesus Christ. You share in the same hope. You share in the same sure salvation as the pastor. Whatever title you can come up with. The Pope, if he believed in Jesus. You share in that same calling. Peter, Paul, all of the greats of old. You want to think about the great revivalists. Even Spurgeon, the, known as the greatest preacher. Right? We've got Wesley, and we, we could just name these great greats that we've seen over the, just the last two, three centuries. You've got the same calling in your life. Why? Because God so loved the world that even you, Barbara, he put a calling on you. That same calling. Pierce, he's got the same calling on you. He's got a plan for your life. I'm not special. They'll never elevate me to put that, me in that position. It's too much pressure. 
It's also not biblical. We have the same calling. The ground is all level at the foot of the cross. Skipping ahead, we share the same faith, partake of the same baptism. Do you know there isn't a faith for some, and there's this similar and distinct faith for others? This is what the world tries to teach us, right? That all roads lead to God somehow. It doesn't matter which religion you believe. That's this new theory. Well, I'll say it again. For Christians, for the believers, this is who Paul is addressing in chapter 4. We have far more in common with true Christians of these varying backgrounds and denominations than we do in difference with them. We have the same faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we might not believe on the every little jot and tittle and all these little things. It's an unfortunate misinterpretation of God's holy word, in my humble opinion, that we have these differences to begin with. But when you boil it down, we have the same faith. What is that? Salvation in Jesus Christ and in him alone. You know, there isn't according to God's word, I should say, Jesus, he said what? I am I'm a way In Christ, there's only one way. And if you're in Christ, you share of that one way. John 14, 6 says, No one comes to the Father except through the Son. There's only one way. That's the faith we have in Christ. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 John 5, 12. There's one faith. There is eternal life. There is one faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say something about baptism. That's the next one. One baptism. We'll move it along. See, you're surprised right now, aren't you? there's a logical question that flows out of this. If there's one baptism, why on earth do you teach so heavily on baptism of the Spirit? Wait a second, Pastor. Like you said, there's two baptisms. It says very clearly there's one baptism, right? Done. Case closed. Well, first of all, the same people that would use that argument would also speak about different types of faith, arguing that there's common faith and temporary faith and there's a supernatural gift of faith. Guess what? Those are all the same word in the Greek, pistis. But these faith, they would argue, have a different application. Well, I want to remind you that right before baptism, we see the word one faith. So what is it? Is it one faith or are there multiple faiths? There's one faith in Christ Jesus. There's also one baptism in Christ Jesus. This is the context, and we need to go there to look at it. But even if you throw out that rock-solid counter-argument, which ruffles some feathers, in the book of Acts, I believe the Bible clearly teaches the baptism of the Spirit is distinct from water baptism. We've looked at this in the past. I want you to just refresh your memory. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 8, you're going to get some empirical evidence from the Word of God that water baptism is not the same event as spirit baptism. We'll get to the why and how this even makes sense that Paul can even say one baptism in just a minute. But I want you to see this important note. There are different types of baptism. There is one baptism of Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. This is another term, baptism of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit, 
by laying on of hands, their implication, there's lots of different terms we charismatic folk use to describe this one event. Some people call it the second blessing. I don't particularly like that term, but it is what it is. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit as being filled with the Holy Spirit, a separate, separate or consequent event that happens after salvation in Christ Jesus. Here they had been baptized in Christ Jesus, but very clearly says they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So they laid hands on them, prayed on them, and there was a second baptism. Turn to chapter 10 of Acts, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all of those who were listening to the message. Verse 45, all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing and speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized. So get this, they got baptized in the Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, and then there was the baptism of water that would follow. He says for the rest of the verse, Surely water cannot be refused for those who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Subsequent baptism. And he asked them to stay for a few days. Turn to chapter 11, verse 14. Peter reporting at Jerusalem. He says, and he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in the way? Of in, stand in God's way. So he was giving the account of what just happened we read in chapter 10. That he was not going to withhold water baptism for those that had been baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter 19 of Acts. One more. Now don't get upset about this. I'm just reading scriptures. I know the gospel can offend, but if you'd notice in that past one, New American Standard and some other versions, I'm sure say it very correctly, but it's, it's precisely that God had given the Holy Spirit after they believed. And I want you to understand that wording because it helps to understand that there are two different events. Acts chapter 19, are you with me? 1 through 6. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were, in all, about 12 men. So there's three different baptisms in this passage, if you are so following along and will give me the phrase baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's baptism of John, there's baptism of Jesus, there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. So how on earth can Paul say there is only one baptism? See, Paul is saying, not saying that there is only one baptism event, he's saying that 
The baptism you partook in Christ Jesus is the very same declaration over each and every person who is baptized in Christ Jesus. And for the better context, I think this will help us to understand. Let's turn one more passage to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul deals very directly with this exact issue that was going on in the church at Corinth. He was correcting this issue of division about baptism, and it should all become very apparent. I wanted to take that pause and explain to you that there are different baptisms, but in Ephesians 4, he's talking about all being unified under the same teaching of baptism in Christ Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you. Sounds similar to Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Talking about unity in the spirit and the bond of peace, that we would walk worthy of the calling which we have in Christ Jesus, keeping unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He says, for you have these things in common. And he goes through this list in Ephesians 4, right? One faith, one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father over all. Okay, so here he is. Keep unity. There would be no divisions among you, verse 10, but you may be complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, someone tattled to Paul, by Chloe's people. It was Chloe's people that are tattletalers. There are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas. That's Peter. So we've got three different groups in the church at Corinth. There's some that are saying, well, I'm of Paul's church. I'm of the church of Paul. Someone else says, well, I'm of the church of Peter. Oh, well, I'm of the church of Christ. Well, someone else threw in Apollos. Well, I'm of the church of Apollos. And I wonder how long this list would have gone had we left them to their own methods. Would we have, like I said last week, 45,000 estimated denominations in the Christian quote-unquote religion? 45,000 denominations because we can't get along. Paul says, 13, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you are baptized in my name. Now, I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness, cleverness of speech so that the cross of Christ would be, not be made void. So what is seeming to be of happening here in Corinth was that some were baptized by some or some were sitting under the teaching of one and they sort of caused a division within the church in the city of Corinth. And Paul is reminding them, it doesn't matter who baptized you. That's what he's explaining. I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize a bunch of you because I don't want you using my name. Don't look at me. You're not of the church of Paul. You're the church of Christ. That's why I'm glad I didn't baptize a bunch of you. He says you all need to get along and recognize that you have the same baptism, the same faith, the same Lord Jesus Christ. And that's where he points them back to. Same thing again is happening in Ephesians chapter 4. So this one baptism is talking about being baptized into Christ Jesus and not all the different various followers of Christ doesn't matter whether you baptized by Pastor Vince before me, whether I baptized you, whether you baptized in church when you were a kid. None of that matters. You're all sharing in the same baptism in Christ Jesus. 
does not mean that the doctrine of baptism of the Holy Spirit is false. There's one baptism about being baptized in the body of Christ, which is the church by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 talks about that. It's the baptism by the Holy Spirit of the church. This is the same thing that we share. If you're in the church, you've got the baptism of Christ. Now, the next one on this list in Ephesians 4 is one Lord. This should be fairly obvious here that this is the one body of Christ. This word in the Greek is kurios. It's Lord. We translate it Lord. It also can be used to talk about different lords or masters in a feudal type system. If you can imagine having a Lord over you. So when we use the word Lord to describe Jesus Christ, it's often used in conjunction. Lord Jesus Christ, we're saying he is our master. He is the one that is ruling over us. So when we worship the Lord, when we talk about the Lord, we're saying, I submit to you. I wonder if you've made the Lord your actual Lord or you just like to use that word. Nonetheless, I digress. This is the word kurios. It's clearly talking about Jesus. There are not different saviors according to different classes but there is one Savior for all. There is not a Lord for the Jews and a Lord for the Gentiles. There's not a Lord for the rich and the poor. There is one Lord who is each and every one in Christ's master. Finally, one God and Father. This is the last member of the Trinity, our pater in Greek. One Father. There is only one Father. Jesus says, Do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is our Father, he who is in heaven, Matthew 23, verse 9. I'm not sure if that verse reads the same in the Catholic Bible. Our Father, who art in heaven, is the only one to whom our prayers should be directed. Jesus' words himself. No one else has the right to say, look at me for your spiritual needs. That's the problem. That's what Jesus was correcting in that verse. He said, don't call anyone Father. You can't, you can't go to anyone but my Father. He's the only one you need to go to. Jesus was warning against ostentation, pride, and hypocrisy. Now, the same can be used of the word rabbi or rabbi. There is one whom is our teacher. So why do we say that we have teachers or preachers? Because Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 8, that there is only one teacher. Now, it's for this reason, this may find be a little strange to some of you, that I don't really like having the title or a title. Understand first and foremost that the word pastor in Greek is really more properly translated into English shepherd. So pastor is only used one time. We're going to get to that verse in a couple weeks in the New Testament. But it's really the word shepherd, talking about shepherd. Well, should we call him Shepherd Eric? Well, I'd rather you didn't. I guess we could use the same argument, right? There's only one shepherd, the good shepherd. So how, where do we draw the line with this? How far do we go? Do we just get rid of all titles and we stop calling people things? No, I don't, I don't know that we need to go that far. I get it. I appreciate the nod of respect, and it's very fitting and proper in its right place. But on the other hand, I am troubled by the possibility that anyone would ever call me something that goes against their conscience. For example... I don't think I've been called reverend by anyone in this room. So I'm just going to use that as an example. Some of you might have grown up in a church where that was the title for the minister, right? Reverend, bishop. Some of you went to Catholic church, mass, called them fathers, priests, whatever. So I'm going to pick on this because I don't think I've been called that. 
When you go to a place and someone doesn't know how to respond, they find out that I am a, a pastor of church, sometimes you'll run into people that kind of are awkwarded out by that. What do I call them? Do I call them reverend? I had a roommate in college who was so freaked out by the fact that my dad was a pastor that he kind of half-jokingly called him an emissary of God. He didn't know what to call him. Do I, do I call him reverend? Do I call him rev? Do I call him pastor, preacher? I don't want anyone to ever call me by anything. So much in the same way that maybe you can relate to the word reverend, you wouldn't call me Reverend Eric. That's what I'm getting at. I don't want anyone to ever feel obligated against their conscience to call me pastor because, see, the difference is there's one is a title, and it's, it's putting someone over yourself. I am not over you. Now, in a sense, I have a, in a position of authority over this church to teach and to really shepherd so if you can call me Pastor Eric, that's a nod of respect to the role that I'm in. Yes, I understand it. Just know the subtle difference in your mind. Please don't ever call me Pastor because you have to, or you feel like you have to. What I'm trying to guard against is that I don't want to be put up on a pedestal. I want you to go to God for truth, not to me. Now you can come to me for questions and hopefully we'll seek out God things together. I'm not saying don't ever talk to me. That would be the other extreme, right? I'm so lowly that you can't even come to me with questions. But you know, I've been in a church. I've been um, pastored, pastored by people that said if I didn't call them by pastor blank, then that was disrespectful. That's an old school way of teaching. And to me, quite frankly, a lot of young people are turned off by that. So I have chosen, I don't introduce myself as Pastor Eric, but rather I introduce myself as I'm the pastor of this church. It's a subtle difference. Hopefully you're following me. I don't want to get caught up in a kind of pride where I get offended if somebody doesn't call me reverend or pastor. Now that's on me. I have to guard against pride. That's a personal thing. But each of you need to guard against elevating me or any shepherd of the church, elevating them to whatever pastor says goes. Just because... I say drink the Kool-Aid doesn't mean drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, I'm not on higher ground than you, so don't ever do what I ask just because I ask it. Ask God. Make sure it's in line with the Word of God when we're talking about spiritual things at least. Don't elevate my words above the Holy Spirit because there is a real danger for that and it creeps in subtly. I've seen it happen. People, well, well that's, what, that's what the pastor said and they don't question it, they don't argue it. Next thing you know, he teaches a somewhat false doctrine or teaching, guess what happens? Slippery slope. End of the verses we read in chapter 4. All the way up to chapter, or verse 16. What does it say? Guarding about every wind of doctrine and the craftiness of speech in men. Okay, we're going to get to that. But I want you to understand and question things. You want to call me Pastor Great. Am I offended by being called Pastor? Absolutely not. Quite the contrary. As a youngin, it makes me feel that you respect me as a teacher or as a shepherd. Just understand that I too am a sinner saved by grace. You can call me ugly if you want. Just recognize that the position that I hold in this church, I do so first and foremost in submission to Christ Jesus. I digress. One father. One father. We're not talking about whether you can call people priest or father or reverend in this passage. He's reminding us that there is one Father, that all Christians are saved by the grace of the same God who is over all and through all and in all. 
The best and oldest manuscripts omit both the words us and you at the end of that sentence. They crept into the text over the years and the copies. But each of these verses, four references to all, all come from the same Greek word pas. And so this phrase, so this phrasing by Paul, it's, it, we don't really have time to go into it, and I don't want to bore you overly, but he's covering every aspect by which God could be sovereign over. It's kind of this run-on sentence. He's really trying to build the case that there is no God, there is nothing that is higher than the one true God. And this concept is so fundamental, it's so critical to the faith that it can be traced back to the very first words of Scripture, in the beginning, God. There's a philosophical answer that we as Christians have. Where did all of this come from? In the beginning, God. There's nothing above him. Everything else was created by God. In the beginning, God. I believe Paul is pointing us back to these words that we find in our book, Genesis. He is the one father of all who believe. Muhammad is father to nobody but his seven children. Buddha is father to only Rahula, Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma, the three pure ones. In Hinduism, same thing. They only have earthly children, but there is a God, the Father, Yahweh, the creator who in the beginning was. He is, and he will always be he is the father of us all. We have this same thing in common. Those that are actually in Christ Jesus have one father. He's supreme. He presides over all things. Psalm 83, 18 says, You alone whose name is the Lord are the most high over all the earth. He's through all. All creation is being pervaded by him. His agency to keep it all together. Colossians 1, 17 says the universe is being held together by him and he is in all God being omnipresent taking up residence within us by his Holy Spirit you know in 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 we're, we're reminded that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit our bodies are the temple Christ or Fa Father God really through the Holy Spirit all the same it's the same Trinity takes up residence within us he is in all he is in all believers so there's this fellowship, there's this commonality among the believers in Christ Jesus that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you too will be saved. And we have all these things in common. One body, we have one spirit, we have one baptism, we have one faith, we have one Lord, we have one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. And if we've done these two simple things, you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. You are partaking of the kingdom of God. That everybody around this room who's done those two things is your brother and your sister in Christ. You're all part of the family. That's the beauty of believing in Christ Jesus. We partake of the same faith. That no matter where you go, whether it's another country, people look different than you, people have different language than you, you can't even speak to them. We have all these things in common. They're our brothers and sisters around the world. These are the non-negotiables, or at least a short list of them, that if you can agree on these few things, we should have a godly, agape love for each other. I just want to read this list one more time as we close out this morning. Ephesians 4, 
4. There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in 